Dr. Dale on Quail, bringing you the latest news and views about all things quail in Texas. Brought to you by the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, preserving the wild quail hunting heritage of Texas for this and future generations. Major support for this podcast comes from Gordian Sons Outfitters. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's episode of Dr. Dale on Quail. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau. The Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation has some outstanding team members. Dr. Dale's guest this month is a recent arrival to the foundation team, but she's no stranger to Texas wildlife circles. She is Dana Wright, a 30-year wildlife biologist with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department who recently completed her career with the agency and is now the foundation's program and communication coordinator. Let's go to Dr. Dale now with his special guest. Thank you, Gary. It's good to be with you all again this month, and we thank you and your staff there at the Texas Farm Bureau for helping put the magic behind the Dr. Dale on Quail podcast. We appreciate your expertise there. we got a good uh, podcast set up for March this month. We'll get to it in just a second. Uh, here we are uh, in the uh, middle of March, and uh, we expect wind in March, and the winds have gotten an early start here, at least here in West Texas. Uh, may not be doing much prescribed burning this spring. But uh, the weather folks, the climatologists are calling for us to go into El Nino neutral. And uh, that may not sound like good news, but it is. We'll take that over La Nina anytime. So hopefully we'll have a little bit wetter spring and summer than what we've had in the past. We certainly need it. And our quail certainly need it. Our guest this month is Dana Wright. Dana is the newest member of our team at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation. If you listened to our podcast last month with Joe Don Brooks and the capsule of history that he shared with us, well, Dana was present that day, so I did introduce her, but we're going to spend the, the next uh, 45 minutes or so with Dana. We're looking forward to uh, getting to know Dana and recognizing her skill set that she acquired over a long career at Texas Parks and Wildlife, and I think you're going to find that she's still got a lot of spunk and creativity in her, and I certainly look forward to working with her on all things quail. So uh, Dana, again, welcome aboard. We're glad to have you. Thanks, Dale, for having me on. So looking forward to our visit today. Why don't you start off with what uh, some people call your elevator speech. Just tell us uh, where you're from, how you got to where you're at. Well, um, I was actually born in Sweetwater, Texas. And um, my dad uh, was working for Texas Parks and Wildlife there with the Wildlife Division. Herb uh, Kothman was his uh, supervisor. Um, and so I got introduced to Texas Parks and Wildlife at a very early age. Um, from there, um, we moved to Abilene and probably when I was about two years old. And my dad uh, worked for the fisheries division there in Abilene and um, I grew up there in Abilene and um, then he transferred back into the wildlife division there at Abilene and um, so I had a early start with Parks and Wildlife so I went with him on some quail surveys and I can remember him trapping quail and measuring a uh, feather wings, but I don't really remember what for. So um, I guess I was just a little too young back then. But um, so then uh, when I graduated high school, I went on to Tarleton State University and got a degree in uh, general biology. They didn't at that time, they didn't have much of a wildlife program. They had some wildlife classes. One of them was taught by the poultry instructor. So um, kind of different there. And uh, when I graduated, I just kept going to school. I really didn't know what I wanted to do for sure. And um, my dad uh, suggested I put in for some parks and wildlife jobs. And there was uh, two job openings, one up in the panhandle and um, one at Brownwood. And um, I got interviews for both of them. The one in the panhandle, they held the interview at the Matador wildlife area. and. Um, at the time, they would place you at the district office, which was in Amarillo for one year, and then they would place you somewhere in the field, and you didn't know where you were going to end up. And when I drove through Paducah, I said, God, I hope they don't put me in Paducah. And uh, 30 years later, that's where I've been. <laughs> 
So, and it actually turned out to be a huge blessing to me. Uh, the people were fantastic to me and, um, and I guess that's why I stayed, but, um, and, uh, it's been, a real pleasure working in the rolling plains with, uh, with the landowners here and, and the diversity of game species that we have in the panhandle sure gave me a lot of experience and I wouldn't trade that for anything. Well, I know how that goes about, uh, you know, when you, when you're stuck in a small town or raised in a small town, uh, or bring your spouse to a small town. If they're not from one, they think, Oh my gosh. Yeah. But then, uh, I remember we lived in junction for 18 months when I was working on my PhD and my wife thought, Oh, I'd never like living down here. But then uh, when we left 18 months later, she was crying when we left kind of thing. So yeah. uh, uh, small towns can really grow on you. And of course, uh, again, I'm from Hollis, 60 miles North of Paducah. And we know all about that. And we know all about uh, how the quail populations have waned over the last several years and, and what kind of impact that and, and some other things have had on the economies of those small towns uh, in that mm -hmm. part of the world. Tell us about your family. You, now, and it's okay to mention your daddy's name. So I'd like to hear you okay. who your daddy was. Yeah. So uh, my dad was uh, Chuck Dowshow and um he worked for texas parks and wildlife for 21 years and um then he actually um when he left the department he went to work for the nail ranch as their uh, wildlife manager and um from there he went to uh, work for uh, jay timmons at brownwood and managed a couple of ranches there and then he's probably most famous for having lone star barbecue in brady texas and um he was a fantastic uh, cook, <laughs> so uh, but he knew how to make barbecue for sure. So and um, then uh, they they moved back to Lano. We have a family. We have a ranch there at Lano, and um, so uh, I have to mention um, my grandmother. So my dad's mom, Lois May Dalshow, um, she was a uh, fanatical hunter and fisherman. She loved it. <laughs> and so um, we would, she had a place on the Llano River there at Castell, Texas. And uh, I grew up, I spent every summer there going up and down the river fishing. And, um, but she, she was, she was really instrumental in, uh, in uh, encouraging uh, her grandchildren or her own son to hunt and fish and that's where my dad you know grew to love it also and uh, she killed her last deer when she was in her 80s and uh, she was always uh, very upset if she missed opening day of deer season I'll tell you that <laughs> so well it sounds like your pedigree is, is certainly a good one for wildlife and so yeah. again uh, we look forward to tapping into that. Now you have a twin sister, correct? Yes, I do. So you might run into my identical twin sister. Uh, she's at Goldthwaite and um, she's a school teacher there, um, Jana Eddington. And um, so, and she also loves to hunt and fish. And uh, I think we could trade places pretty easily, but uh, I'm not sure I could uh, take, take care of them fifth graders like she can. <laughs> so. I think I think you had the better of the two draws, but we'll just keep that between ourselves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, tell, us about, tell us about your experience, uh, some of your experiences with TPW. Again, you just finished a 30-year career in December with them, and uh, we here at the Research Foundation signed John like a week later, kind of thing, because we knew what we were uh, able to get get a hold of there. But uh, give us some of the highlights of your 30 years with TPW. Oh man, that's a uh... You know, uh, I got an award uh, at the National Wild Turkey Federation and they read a little biography over me. I was sitting there listening to it and I thought, dang, I did all that. <laughs> so, anyway, so there's a, a lot, lot to, to think back on, but um, I think the best part of the 30 years was the diversity of the habitats and uh, wildlife that I got to um, deal with here in the panhandle and landowners. So um, from farming to ranching um, to pronghorn to bobwhite quail. So just uh, anything you wanted to 
stick your hands into. We got to. Um, I did a lot of um, back in early 2000. We did it. We were doing a lot of uh, turkey restoration projects, helping other states get some um, Rio Grande wild turkeys established. So um, I did a lot of that. Um, did a lot of wildlife surveys. Um, probably flown just about everywhere in the panhandle at one time or the other counting deer and prairie chickens and um, pronghorn antelope um, helped with restoration project for pronghorn antelope getting them um, back in the trans-pecos kind of a flip-flop there back in the i don't know 70s and 80s we were trapping pronghorn down there and moving them to the panhandle and now we reverse that direction um, done a lot of, of course, our main focus is working with landowners and helping them um, manage their properties for wildlife, whatever their interest was. So I wrote wildlife management plans for approximately a million acres here in the Panhandle in my career. Um, so I got to stomp around on a lot of uh, very interesting uh, ranches, see a lot of history, which I really enjoyed. and. Uh, met some fantastic people over the years and we'll probably talk about a few of them as some of my mentors oh good and you also got an award recently uh for your acumen with trapping doves is that correct um not for trapping doves so it was um just for my work in general for the wildlife division i was named uh, the wildlife division professional of the year it's the they call it the randy fugate award and if anyone in south texas knows randy fugate um he was he was a wonderful guy and um and uh, landowners loved him and he was just optimistic and uh, just a pleasure to be around and loved by everyone and and so um, the award is for someone who um, really uh, focuses on customer service and and uh, has those connections and and um, is just a all around good employee. So it was very it was very much of an honor and surprise to get the award. <laughs> if you like, like me, I, I always enjoy flying in a helicopter. Not so much in a fixed wing, but I enjoy flying in a helicopter. Yeah, definitely. The fixed wing stuff was not my favorite either. <laughs> so pretty hot and tiresome work. Well, well, we've discussed your vocation. Some. What, what about your avocation? What are the things you like to do in your spare time? Well, in my spare time, I like to hunt and fish. Um, so I do a lot of reading. Um, and my husband, Frank, and I, we have um, a couple of places that we own and lease. And so we run a few cows and I tell you after um, helping other landowners uh, manage their properties for wildlife for 30 years and um, it's uh, very rewarding to have your own place and um, be able to work on it to improve it for wildlife that gives no greater satisfaction than going out there and spraying some mesquites or or uh, doing some cross fencing or water development and things like that to improve it. So, so we, that's what we spend most of our weekends working on our own places now. Okay, great. And, uh, uh you, you didn't mention your children. Why don't you tell us who your children are? And we're going to, we're going to feature one up here in a second. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, I have a daughter, Haley Hawkins now, um, she's, married to Travis. They live at Knox City. And um, then I have a son, um, Hayden Wright. He's a couple of years younger than Haley and he lives up at Canyon. He just graduated from West Texas A&M with a degree in ag business and um, is working for a cattle company up there. So, um, so it's nice to have um, your kids all taken care of and doing their own thing now. So, well, yeah. I'm sure you were, in fact, I know you've been a great role model. I remember reading some magazine article, I forget what the outlet was, but it, it was basically celebrating the uh, relationship that you and your daughter Haley had as far as both being wildlife professionals. And uh, what, what a greater way to pay it forward than to basically clone yourself. And, and Haley does remind me a lot of you as well. Yeah. When yeah. See, um, you know, um, 
so when she decided she wanted to go into wildlife, um, so she went to college and uh, started out at Vernon Junior College. And while she was working there, going to school there, I suggested that she get a job at the A&M uh, Experiment Station there at Vernon. And um, that's what I did while I was at Tarleton. I worked at the Experiment Station at, at Stephenville. And um, it's just, uh, you know, a great place to get some out out in the field work, collecting data and stuff like that. It looks good on a resume. So, um, and uh, her grandfather on Frank's side, he also worked at um, Experiment Station. So third generation to do that. And, um, and then uh, she graduated from Texas Tech University with a degree in wildlife management, biology, or I'm not sure what they call it there now, but <laughs> and um, got a got a job with the Natural Resource Conservation Service, kind of waiting for some parks and wildlife uh, biologist openings. And um, then she got hired on. And so we're real proud of her that she's the third generation in our family to work for parks and wildlife. Well, that that's probably a record, although I, I don't have time to get into that. But. Dana, when you start when you started thirty years ago, there couldn't have been over a handful of you female biologists out in the field. Uh, now there's there's quite a few, uh, and I'm sure some of those young ladies have asked you the question, or their mothers or fathers have asked you the question. What advice would you give a young eighteen or nineteen year old uh, female that's wanting to work in the outdoors like like you've made a career of? Well, uh, definitely you want to pick the right school to go to, one that offers a degree in wildlife. And um, and then it seems like so many are focused on getting through school as quickly as possible that they take summer classes. And really those summers, you need to be getting a job somewhere as a tech technician or intern or things like that. You need that experience. You will not be able to get a job just coming out of school with that paper degree and no experience. And so, um, and I also recommend, you know, volunteering. And, um, and I think that it starts in high school, maybe going to Bob White or Buckskin Brigade. There's just so much knowledge there that you can gain going to those types of wildlife conservation camps and um and meet and they also help you meet people in the profession and so you're making those contacts early on and i think that's really really valuable and um so and hopefully uh it'll <laughs> it'll come together for you when you graduate but um and then you know i tell a lot of young people when you start applying for jobs you know um, be sure to uh, reach out to someone and have them look over your resume and application to make sure you're getting all those t's crossed and i's dotted and um and then uh, if you get that interview definitely call and ask for advice on even what to wear to an interview or things like that so it, it can really help you absolutely and you mentioned your daughter haley and I guess it's been three or four years ago, she came down to the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch as part of the Texas Tech prescribed burning class. And when I met her, I told our manager at the time, Daniel, I said, uh, we were, we're always looking for summer interns. And I said, now you go up and, and meet Haley. And I said, uh, you do the interview on the spot because if she's interested in being an intern, by degree, by pedigree, she's earned it. And again, I, I knew we had a good one there. So uh, she she did indeed uh, do an internship with us there, and we're very proud of her for for the time she spent with us. And hopefully, that quail background will serve her well over her career. Uh, Dana, let's get into your skill set a little bit. I'm, I'm sure technical guidance uh, is a big part of your job. First of all, I guess uh, explain to us you were you were in Cottle County. But you probably had what four or five counties that you were responsible for. Well, when I started out thirty years ago, there was just me and a couple other people, and we covered the entire Panhandle. So I had I don't know how many counties, probably about sixteen, and then um, 
Then as we added positions, I got down to nine counties. I had nine counties for a long time. And then we added another biologist position. And so then I got to six counties. And um, so then they, they kind of, with when Jeff Bonner retired, we kind of restructured um, some stuff and um, I got down to three counties, but I was covering also the entire uh, eastern side of the Texas Panhandle or most the the Rolling Plains part of the district. So, okay, uh, let's talk about some of your uh, skill sets, uh, as I'll call them, and, and specifically as they relate to habitat management. Axe plow, cow fire kind of mm -hmm. things. Uh, let's just start off with prescribed burning. What kind of expertise do you bring to the table there? So I've done a lot of prescribed burning um, on our WMAs over the years. Um, I, honestly, I don't know how many thousands of acres I probably helped burn and stuff, but um, also help help landowners develop a wild a prescribed burn plan for their property and and really it's trying to sell it to them so what i do and and then luckily parks and wildlife started hiring um some prescribed fire specialists and um so we involve them and get them to uh, help write the prescribed burn plans and but we actually go out and we'll help landowners implement it on their properties but um, it's mainly trying to sell the prescribed burn to them. So, and the, the benefits of it are just fantastic for wildlife all around. So, you know, trying to sell fire to the ranchers, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a pendulum also. I can remember back in my college days and working, uh, taking Dr. Wright's prescribed burning classes. And again, he was making some real strokes, strong strokes to the, right i guess as far as promoting prescribed burning but then over the next uh i don't know during the 2000s or somewhere in there several big wildfires and it's like prescribed burning took two steps backwards for each forward stride but uh, things have things have improved some and mm -hmm. again we don't want to forget don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because prescribed burning can be a very important tool and if you've never had any experience and want to learn more about prescribed burning we hope to be offering a certified prescribed burn managers course uh, sometime within the next year there at the Rolling Plains Grove Research Ranch. So we'll keep you posted uh, as that evolves. Now, plant ID, Dana, and I got to start off by saying, you know, I've got a kind of a open wound here as far as uh, plant ID with you because uh, I don't know, it's probably 18, 20 years ago, Cattle Raiser Association and uh, TWA, Texas Wildlife Association, held a joint meeting there in Guthrie and they mm -hmm. had a plant ID contest and they had a nice Moormakers uh, pocket knife was the top prize. And some young lady with blonde hair and blue eyes beat me by one plant and that happened to be you. So uh, again, you bring to uh, you bring to the table a good knowledge of uh, range plant identification for the rolling plains. Yep, I still got that pocket knife uh, and um, Chip Ruthven, he's also, uh, you know, the wildlife manager at the Matador Wildlife Area, and um, he's also fantastic on his plants. And I had to beat him at a plant ID contest when he first came up here to the Matador Wildlife Area. But I guarantee you, he would smoke me down now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, Chip is Chip, and folks like Ricky Lennox, who we rely upon a lot, uh, Steve Nelly, both the latter two there with the, formerly with the Natural Resource Conservation Service. Uh, as a landowner and a quail manager, you cannot spend a better day than with somebody just what I call botanizing, just learning the plants. And so that's something we always strive on and we always have a pre and post test anytime we have a field day or a symposium or whatever. You're going to be subjected to some plant identification because most of us are not very literate when it comes to our uh, basic factory out there and that being the plants that occupy our rangeland. So I encourage you to uh, start doing your homework. My challenge for you is to learn one plant a week, one plant a week for 50 weeks. I'll give you two weeks off for Christmas. And if you know 50 plants, well, you'll be right up there with Dana Wright and win the next pocket knife next time we have a contest like that. Uh, and Dana, you, we're going to talk more about our, our Facebook page but uh mm -hmm. i know you're going to make plan idea a regular part of that so 
fact, yeah. we're, we're going into that right now. So uh, you bring uh, expertise in social media, and that's one of the uh, that's one of the asks that we have in your job duties is mm -hmm. to basically help us uh, put a spotlight on our social media, and so forth. So you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, so I I just have a general interest in the social media, but it's a I think it's a fantastic educational tool, especially for our young people and um, trying to pull them in and get them um, more engaged in stuff that we might be doing at the research ranch, but also, you know, showing some plan ID or um, habitat management tips and things like that. So I look forward to that. So um, personally, I'm kind of known for my uh, game camera at the water trough pictures and um, probably uh, one of my most uh, popular posts was a picture of eight coyotes at my water trough. <laughs> so um, and um, another one I had that uh, probably got the most views was a, a mama and a baby badger and a mama badger was uh, trying to get her baby away from me and dragging it off and um, that one got a lot of lot of views, so I'll be sharing it on the Rolling Plains Quail Research uh, Facebook. We also have an Instagram, so be sure to check us out there. Uh, that's great, and uh, you know, it's again, we've got about ten thousand people that currently like our Facebook page, and we've been doing that for about I guess thirteen years now. Mm -hmm. And so, recording those or uh, posting those game camera photographs is just it's just sometimes magical the number of people and the varied interest you know they're i mean we probably don't have ten thousand quail hunters hardly anymore hunting in the rolling plains but there's a lot of people that have no interest in quail hunting but they still enjoy quail as one of the canaries in the coal mine if you will and the, the efforts that i tell people that that don't hunt quail uh, if you're interested in horn lizards or dick thistles nobody pays to manage property for those, but they're riding on the backs, riding piggy to, piggyback on the uh, coattails of the Bob White, and, and we like to make a case out of that. But uh, I know you've got some themes for the various days of the week, and I'm I'm not going to try to repeat them. I'll forget some of them. So what is Monday going to be known for? Monday is going to be Management Monday, and we'll be doing some kind of habitat management uh, tip or practice or something about habitat management. So um, Tuesdays is, of course, is our game camera day. So trail cam Tuesdays. And then Wednesday is whodunit Wednesday. So um, it'll be kind of a CSI type um, um, picture or something there that will want you to, you know, start looking at different kind of signs, uh, whether it's a predation event or maybe it could be tracks or something like that so um so we'll be that'll be wednesday and um, thursday is technician thursdays and we'll be uh looking at what our technicians are doing at the rolling plains quail research ranch or maybe posting some research information there and um, fridays. friday is plant plant id so um so we'll be featuring a plant each friday and you've been really good to not only include the, the photograph of the plant itself the leaf but uh, sometimes seeds and uh shout out to ricky lennox and steve nelly because they handled the uh for many years the plant identification contest at the Texas chapter of the wildlife society and i began to complain it was too deer oriented they need to do something more for quail so they started inserting uh, out of 25 questions, maybe five of them are seeds. And boy, you want to hear the deer, the deer folks moan and groan about that. But we expanded their vocabulary with seed identification. Well, that's great. And again, you can follow our Facebook page and Instagram at uh, quailresearch.org and get signed up for both of those. Let's talk about uh, what is your, tell us about your, your assignment with the Research Foundation. So, um, my assignments are one the social media aspect but um, i'm the programs and communications coordinator and so um it could be field days outreach events and things like that so one thing i've been assigned is um we're starting a sporting 
ranch training program for uh, veterans. And so we're going to be, our first class will be possibly this spring, maybe this fall, um, depending on how things come together. But um, it'll be a 12-week program and uh, we'll take applications for some veterans and uh, possibly three to four for the first class. And um, they will come live at the research ranch and um, get hands-on experience doing um, everything from wildlife management practices, brush management, prescribed burning, um, disking. They'll get training using various types of heavy equipment, um, implements and things like that. Things that they would need to um, get a job working on a ranch, maybe helping do the wildlife uh, management on a property and stuff when they get done. So we want to get them some certifications such as their pesticide applicators license um, and other things that that would be relevant to working on a ranch. Um, then I will also be, um, I'm working on pulling together the statewide quail symposium. The last one was held in 2019. And so this is scheduled for August 16th through 18th um, in Abilene, Texas, this uh, fall, this August. Um, so, um, so I'm working on that. Um, we're looking for right now we're looking for sponsors and we're pulling together the agenda and um all the other little aspects of hosting an event like that so um so we're looking forward to a big turnout for that and uh we are you plan to have a plant appreciation day may 19th at the rolling plains quail research ranch so we're working on getting that pulled together and um bringing back those quail appreciation days that were so popular um many years ago so we're going to start getting those rolling again too well busy schedule and okay. I, I look forward to working with you on those and again just like uh just like being a product of a grandmother that hunted and you have a daughter that hunts and you know, it's, it's, it's uh, heartwarming to me to see some returns on investment of some of those programs that were started 30 years ago, like the quail appreciation days. And you and I uh, just last month were in Abilene at the farm show, uh, basically going through and, and trying to visit with people that might be interested in serving as sponsors for the statewide quail symposium. And I don't know about you, but I was, pretty impressed that of the people that we met equipment dealers you name it uh, that they seem to have a, a strong interest in what we're doing and uh seemed like many of them were if not still active at least former quail hunters in the area so i thought it's been a good day over at the farm show and absolutely on that uh, plant appreciation day i was just chastising this for our lack of knowledge on plant a day will you come out there and spend the day and our goal will be to find at least 150 species of plants that day. So come and spend the day with us. I know you'll enjoy that. Well, Dan, let's talk about your experience with quail. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't mean this to be a, uh, anything uh, derogatory, but how many quail have you shot in your life? Um, zero. <laughs> and that, that is, I tell you what. When I get you into a good cubby rise and you get two birds on a cubby rise, I want that pocket knife back, okay? Okay, all right, that's a deal. <laughs> now, I will say that I love quail and um, I've never worked with a landowner who didn't. I've had complaints about deer, turkey, hogs, coyotes, gophers, you name it, but not one person has ever complained about quail on their property. So. Yeah, I, I tell people it's impossible to find anybody that's mad at quail. That's right. Uh, as you mentioned, every other species out there, somebody will take exception to them. Um, professionally, Dana, and again, you've probably done 5,000 visits with landowners over your 30 careers. Where did quail rank in, in your discussions? I mean, are were they number one or... Just kind of how did they rank relative to turkeys, deer, doves, yada, yada? You know, um, 
I've never been on a landowner visit that people didn't ask about quail. So most of the time, you know, in a bad year, they what happened to my quail or what happens to them? Where do they go? Things like that. And um, so every landowner visit involves a discussion about quail. Now, the first, maybe the reason they call me out there isn't because of quail, um, but maybe it's more about deer or turkeys or or um, heck, I even had one. I did wrote a wildlife management plan for horny toads one time. So, um, so definitely a variety of interest uh, when it comes to wildlife on people's properties and stuff. So, um. well, certainly, uh, again, you're. I keep saying your folks, your your previous <laughs> your previous career in parks and wildlife. <laughs> biologist uh, and I know well at least I knew most of them now they've had a lot of young people come in over the last five years that I probably don't know mm -hmm. but again they've got a lot of opportunities so as as a group that pushes all things quail like uh, Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation I think it would behoove us to be able to help those individuals and especially those with less than 10 years of experience perhaps what I'll call new employees uh, I think it would behoove us and, and thus behoove quail management if we could spend more time sharpening their skills relative to quail management. If you, I, if you agree that, with that, what, what would you recommend? How would you recommend what, what would you recommend? We, uh, how would you, how, how would you recommend we approach that? Well, I think uh, we just have to provide the opportunity for them to, uh, come and learn more about quail, whether it's us having uh, um, educational field days or at the research ranch and invite those young people out, young biologists, and um, to help or encourage them to attend quail masters or assist with a Bob White Brigade. And, you know, one thing I always thought was um, just because you might be in East Texas where there aren't any quail per se, wild quail, um, that maybe you think it doesn't apply to you, but I think as a wildlife biologist, we should try to be well-rounded and versed in all of the game species here in Texas. I know that I had um, always wanted to go help with alligator surveys and never got the chance to go do it, but just because I, I didn't have them in the rolling plains didn't mean I wasn't interested in learning something about them. And uh, okay, um, and you mentioned uh, Quailmasters, and uh, shout out to uh, your daughter Haley Hawkins as well as Hunter Hopkins. Hunter was mm -hmm. our top student in uh, the 2022 Quailmasters class, so certainly proud to meet those young people and get them involved, and hopefully uh, sharpen their blades just a little bit as it relates to uh, quail management so and over the years we we started doing quail masters in 2005 generally on every other year basis and we've probably had 15 or so parks and wildlife i'll just come to that and most of them when i asked them why did you want to attend it it was basically said well i just felt like i was lacking a little bit in my knowledge and management mm -hmm. skills so uh, we're, we're happy to and, and again we want to be able to train those people and and uh, sprinkle the quail water on them, tell them to go forth and spread the gospel about quail management. Yeah, I think it would be awesome for every parks and wildlife biologist to attend it and um, just uh, another way to pad that resume. And a shout out to Mike Miller and I believe it was Kevin Moat when he was in the field office uh, over at Brownwood because they brought their, uh, I guess it would be region two in parks and wildlife's planning yeah. scheme. Mm -hmm. They brought them out for a day or so at the, Quail Research Ranch maybe 10 or 12 years ago. So again, we encourage the rest of you like that to uh, encourage your local biologist uh, to come out and take advantage of some of the things we're going to be doing at the uh, Quail Research Ranch. Um, last month, Dan, I spoke to you just a minute and you, and you had a sound bite that I really liked. I'd like for you to kind of uh, restate it. You said earlier, I'm paraphrasing here, you said early in your career, people were always asking about deer, but later in your career, they were saying, how do I get rid of deer and how to get more quail? So uh, restate that uh, hypothesis, if you will. Yeah. Um, so 30 years ago, when um, I started here in the panhandle, um, there wasn't 
even an open season on white-tailed does. Here, it it was just buck only, and um, and landowners were just starting to lease their properties for hunting. And um, so a lot of the calls I got was, how can I increase the number of deer on my property and how do I go about leasing it and, and coming up with a harvest recommendation and things like that. And um, yeah, and so it's really toward the end of my career with Parks and Wildlife, uh, landowners were more, I got more calls about how to get rid of deer. How can I reduce my deer numbers and um and what happened to my quail i don't have the quail that i used to and and uh wanted wanted to know how they could uh, reverse that trend so um and i honestly believe a lot of it was um you know brush encroachment uh favored white-tailed deer over bobwhite quail and you know and as People were trying to increase the number of deer they had. They started uh, putting out feeders and food plots and things like that that encouraged uh, deer. And um, maybe uh, I used to jokingly say maybe the deer ate the quail. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, there is video evidence of a doe eating quail eggs down at Tall Timbers many years ago, but I'm not trying to apply deer or nature predator on eggs or or birds no <laughs> so, Dan, yeah. you've you've dealt with a lot of landowners again especially along that eastern part of the panhandle and kind of that uh northeastern part of the rolling plains your your former territory what as you've traveled those roads and talked to those landowners what would you see as you're moving now into more quail mm -hmm more quail interest, what would you see as the most common weak links? Where, where were the limiting factors relative to quail in general? I think, um, well, um, so I have to give a shout out to one of my landowners that I worked with for many years and a good friend of mine now, uh, Mary Sue Potts. Uh, the first time I met her, um, she had, she, you know, I have to admit that I learned a lot from my landowners and she was one of them. But she when the first time I went out there, she told me she said um, that she had gotten, you know, took over the ranch from her dad when he passed away and um, had always kept the same stocking rate because that's what he did and never accounted for the brush encroachment. So I think it's twofold, you know, that a lot of properties have too much brush and have not adjusted their stocking rates accordingly to account for that loss in forage. And so maybe some overuse of it, um, of the rangeland and parts. And some people aren't doing that, but, um, but definitely uh, it's not just uh, one single thing. It's multiple multiple reasons, I believe, but to me, brush encroachment's the big one. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about some trends that, that I'm sure you've, or I think you've seen. Uh, if I, if I mention several things here, deer feeders, raccoons, feral hogs, would you agree with me that there's been an exponential increase in those over the last 30 years for the rolling plains? Yes, definitely. And I'm going to add another one. And this one just came to me recently. Realtors. Yes. Real estate agents. It seems to me now that uh, everywhere you look, there's, uh, and a lot of my friends and colleagues have uh, got into the real estate market. So there's a, there's a lot of interest in realtors or a lot of interest in rural real estate, as we can all appreciate. But, uh, I think we've got, you and I have discussed one possible program for realtors and uh, maybe helping them understand what quail habitat looks like. So why don't you give us your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, you know, in the last 15 years with the department, um, the main calls I got for were from new property owners. So, and, it, and it's people who have never owned a ranch before and have bought it for recreational purposes. So, um, so definitely a big trend there. And, um, yeah, we've talked about doing some, a uh, program for realtors, maybe, uh, introducing them to what 
quail habitat looks like and um, how to manage it and uh, what plants to look for. So some plant ID, I think, would be beneficial to them. And what kind of response have you gotten from those we've talked to at this point? A lot of interest. They said that they would uh, definitely be interested in attending something like this. So because they realize that the people that they're marketing these ranches to are recreational buyers. They're people buying it for the hunting and just want to get away from the big city. Yep. And again, that's, that's both good and bad. Uh, obviously, and, and you've seen it firsthand up there. A lot of the big ranches, and you're right in the heart of the big ranch country up there. A lot of those are, are trading hands. Some of them are staying intact, but uh, some of them will be cut up into, section size and then ultimately 20 acre kind of tracks kind of thing so that whole process of uh, fragmentation uh, begins a lot of times with uh, with the land changing hands and that's certainly happening big time right now okay. uh, Dana any other comments you want to talk to us about what you foresee here in the next couple of years as far as outreach efforts Oh, I, I think we're going to be pretty busy and um, just spreading the word about quail and hoping to educate a lot of people and get quail back on their radar of uh, what it takes to manage for um, good quail habitat and and how it's also beneficial to a lot of other species such as deer and turkeys and dove and horny toads and all those things that are definitely Texan things. Absolutely. And again, you've had your fingers in those, all of those pots. And so again, uh, I'm really looking forward to working with you uh, closer. I've known you for a long time and I've appreciated your skills and your, your energy and looking forward to capitalize on that. I often end an, an article or a Facebook post or whatever with an, with an old uh, thing that I've learned from Susie's number one plan for success in my bird dogs. And that's always hunt with good dogs surround yourself with good people that are going to make you look good just by being associated with them and i can assure you that dan is going to be leading the pack for us here at the rolling plains quail research foundation so we appreciate again the opportunity to work with her dan if you look forward into the crystal ball 10 years from now where do you see yourself what's what lies in store for you Ooh, <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't know how to answer that, really. <laughs> so, um, that's a question I always ask technicians and, inter and <laughs> interns for their interview. It just makes me look. I want to know where they're going to be five years down the road, kind of thing. Yeah, um, man, uh, I hope, uh, I think I'll probably still be working for the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, but, um, 10 years, I'm probably looking at being in full retirement and just uh, playing on my own properties and spending a lot more time hunting. <laughs> well, I hope that uh, within 10 years, we're back to 2015-16 and uh, you'll be carrying that shotgun. And uh, when I ask you how many quails you shot, you, you're going to say, well, I got my limit three times this week. That's the kind of question I'm looking for. That's the kind of answer I'm looking for. Well, again, Dana, we thank you for your, uh, we thank you for your, your conversation today. And again, we look forward to work for you, working with you. And again, if y'all have questions for Dana, why don't you give us your contact information, Dana? You can uh, contact me at D as in Dana right w-r-i-g-h-t at quailresearch.org so you can go to our website and uh, find our contact information there also so or just message me on facebook at rolling plains quail research foundation and again many of you know dana you know what she brings to the table so uh i know she'll appreciate your continued support and uh, we'll keep you in touch more information on as the statewide quail symposium uh, evolves and as far as that sporting ranch training program for veterans if you know of uh, veterans or you are a veteran that might be interested in that you can contact Dana for more information and the application deadline for uh, the Texas brigades actually closed five days ago but uh, might be still an opportunity if you've got a youngster especially in the Bob Whites I would encourage you to go ahead and complete that application because we normally run short of num of applications for Bob White Brigade. It's hard to get young kids excited about quail. So we're always beating the bushes, no pun intended, 
to uh, flush some more good candidates for Bob White Brigade. And just a couple of things before I sign back to Gary. And one is, if you read our Equal newsletter at the conclusion of the Dr. Dale and Quill podcast summary, in the newsletter, I've had a call for interviews out for the last six months. What I'm looking for is someone who's had sustained success, sustained success on managing quail on small acreages, which I've arbitrarily defined as 500 acres or less. I've had no takers. I've had no nominees. So if you know of somebody or you are that person that can claim sustained success, I'd be interested in business with you and possibly doing a, a taping a, a podcast with you because we've got a lot of small acreage landowners out there. And I should, again, 500 acres or less that are interested in, in uh, increasing the abundance of Bob White quail. So we'd like to be able to tap into your skill set there and your experiences and help us with that. And then uh, the last thing I'd put out there for your consideration is as we go into the latter part of March, we're always interested in your quail news locally, whether that be a game camera photograph, whether that be the first whistle of the year that you hear, the first Bob White whistle. So uh, keep us uh, in mind for that. You can send those either to Dana or send them to me, D Rollins at quailresearch.org. And uh, we'll probably put those on the social media or include them in our equal newsletter. So we, we're always interested in, in learning more from you and, and of your respective observations as they relate to quail and quail management in Texas. And with that, Gary, we're going to give it back to you in the studio. And again, thank you for your support. And we'll look forward to visiting with our listeners next month. Thank you so much, Dr. Dale. And thank you, Dana Wright. We appreciate you and all of your past work and efforts and all of the exciting opportunities you are now shepherding at the foundation. We hope you've enjoyed this month's podcast and conversation. For more information about the Dr. Dale on Quail podcast and past episodes, go to the website of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation at quailresearch.org. I'm Gary Joyner of the Texas Farm Bureau. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time. Support from Gordian Sons Outfitters makes Dr. Dale on Quail possible. Gordian Sons, the finest hunting and fly fishing shop to be found. Find out more at gordiansons.com.